Hello and welcome to episode 264 of the Quake and Crowbar on the 28th of what I presume is November still. <laughs> this year seems to go on forever. Uh, I am here with... Alex. And nobody else. Uh, this is a bit of a... That's Tom, by the way. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's just I. <laughs> a disembodied voice is here with Alex. Um, we haven't got Chris here, so we, we've so we've got bad quality audio. Yeah, it's, it's the microphones really that I would say contribute chiefly to the audio quality and not so much Chris. <laughs> Chris does do a very good job editing. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, various people are not available tonight, so it's just me and Alex, and we're doing it at my house, and the setup there is worse, <laughs> objectively. <laughs> so hopefully it's not too offensive to your ears. Although what you must understand is that um, in the interests of kind of uh, echo suppression, um, Tom has covered... <laughs> His coffee table in an extremely opulent-looking uh, rug or or, <laughs> or blanket, um, so it feels like we're kind of royalty in many ways. We've got oh, drinks like this. laid out. <laughs> it's just velvet on everything in my house. <laughs> we do have some actually. Yeah, we do have kind of golden-looking beers, and we are drinking from chalices. It must be said. <laughs> they are literally chalices. I, I feel really good. <laughs> Even if the readers, the readers, the listeners are suffering. You can probably read this on YouTube, because we put our podcast on YouTube, and YouTube has, like, automatically generated captioning, which varies from hilariously surreal to uh, quite good on some things. <laughs> What's been going on? Uh, we don't really know. We think nothing. <laughs> well, all but, I've all I've seen of any kind of news for the past eight to sixteen weeks has been Black Friday deals. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, but I don't think we talked about Skin Deep before, hmm. um, and we should at least mention that, which is the next game from Brendan Chung, uh, better known as Blendo Games, um, which is a. Maybe, did we talk about it? No, because we talked about Void Bastards. Yeah, we did. I think it got invoked a little bit, but that's all. Anyway, uh, Skin Deep is um, a first-person game about um, sneaking around the interior of a spaceship, uh, which obviously pushes my buttons. And uh, it's just full of... uh, It feels like all the things Brendan has been wishing games would do for years, and they haven't. Um, And it's all like... Silly ideas that would never make it into one of my games because I'm always like, oh, we've got to just do the absolute like essentials and get those done first. And Brendan's like, one of the first things he did on this game was uh, add the ability to cough blood. This <laughs> like, is like a context menu option. You can just bring up like a radial menu that you'd usually use to like switch weapons or whatever. And one of the options is just cough blood and it, it sprays blood onto the surface. And I don't actually know if there's like a gameplay value to that. Um, but uh, I think it's, I think you can only do it after you've been like wounded. Um, and there are that dialogue menu is also used to like threaten people so you can kind of it's not about straight up combat there are sort of you can like tell someone to drop their gun and that kind of thing um, but I guess if you've been shot that just becomes a cough blood option <laughs> I mean I, I, the other opportunity like the only other way that you would just have it by default is that you your character has lung disease yeah <laughs> and that's just that would explain how it. you roll you also there's a sneeze meter if you call through a vent the the dust in the vent causes a sneeze meter to slowly fill and you can um if it fills you sneeze and guards hear you in the vent and uh that will be bad for you uh but you can slow it down by stopping in the vent so like it fills up faster as you're progressing through the vent because obviously you're, you're more particles per like second are getting into your nostrils 
And if it's safe, if you know it's safe, then you might want to sneeze to like flush your system before <laughs> the next stretch of, of uh, sneeze-inducing vent. Um, it's like a series of film kind of ideas, isn't mm. it? It's just sort of like what yeah, exactly. happens in action films. Yeah, that that so far no other game has bothered to simulate. <laughs> I think my favourite uh, thing is the... Um, uh, in the narrow, uh, sort of managing to, to brace yourself within a very narrow corridor. Yeah, the Sam Fisher splits, um, <laughs> yeah. which while you're doing it, you can still like move around in the in the corridor. Like I think, I think you can certainly move back and forth. I think you can even move up and down. And then in the trailer that they they shown, um, he there's two guards coming down that corridor from opposite directions, and so he shoots one and then, like, <laughs> bends underneath himself to shoot the other one, like, turns upside down in the corridor, which I'd love to see that from third person because I'm not 100% clear on how it works. <laughs> yeah, I showed, I showed my son it, and um, because he hadn't seen, like, he hadn't, see, he hadn't seen Die Hard. Maybe that's a problem. He should see yeah, Die Hard, really. Yeah, that is a strong reference point for this game. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he, he, yeah, he's not really familiar with these sort of fundamentally insane <laughs> movie kind of, sort of stalwart yeah. kind of things he just thought it was what is this game <laughs> why 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 is any of this happening and for me you know it, every one of them is this like perfect joke <laughs> yeah it's very um you really never know what brendan's going to do next because he had done it, it's such a weird mix you know he's known um initially for Gravity Bone um, and later 30 Fights of Loving is in a similar vein, which are first-person narrative games where it's almost all narrative. There's not much kind of challenge to it, uh, but they uh, the storytelling in it, the sort of the way he um, presents shots and cuts around between different times and um, characters and locations is amazing and beautifully stylish. And then Atom Zombie Smasher is like... <laughs> almost pure mechanics in a way like it has a has very strong theming but it's it's so much like it's a tower defense game basically and it's just um a very particular vision of, of how one of those could work and then flotilla is this like strategy game in 3d uh that's also very mechanicsy. and then uh quadrilateral cowboy seemed like his first for me it was like the narrative stuff that was great in in yeah. um 30 flights mixed with his passion for like interesting mechanics and uh, cool tinkering and hacking and stuff and he finally brought them together and then this one i i don't know what his plans are when i look at the trailer i don't picture it being very story driven i picture it being quite open and kind of replayable and and um more gamey than story <laughs> a story is can be said <laughs> uh but i don't know he might be he might have something else in mind yeah it definitely I think a lot of people would assume that it's, you know, lots of ships you're going on to and, you know, it is that more of a procedural game. But then, yeah, like you said, it, he does flip between ideas and sort of bases, bases, basi <laughs> for, for games. But then they're also joined up with the same, like they're obviously made by one per like yeah. that person, like... You can see that the the person who made Quadrilateral Cowboy also made uh, um, this game because, you know, so so many little details. Like um, I'm thinking about the, um, you know, that little bug thing that you throw on the floor and yeah. then you can control it through the through yeah. your deck. You know, because the weevil. Yeah, so like, uh, Quadrilateral Cowboy. If you haven't played it, which you should, um, 
it is a hacking game where you are infiltrating um, uh, environments, levels, effectively, and you have a set of tools, and one of those tools is the Weevil, and uh, and most of the tools you're interfacing with a deck, like a little mobile a computer, and you put down your Weevil, and then you type in, in your command line, the instructions to start up the Weevil software, and then you can control it through, you know, on the screen, and you can see its video feed. And but you're in, you got you're t- t- steering it into little small spaces, and you know, and there's the jokes about like, isn't there like a in Quadrilateral Cowboy? There's a there's a move you can do which kind of increases your like no, you can squeeze through incredibly thin spaces. <laughs> oh yeah, so there's a there's cybernetic upgrades that you can get that mostly involve just kind of ripping off your existing limbs and replacing them with something or taking out your whole skeleton i think for that one yeah and lets you squeeze through very narrow slots <laughs> yeah i think yeah um his new game kind of plays in the same way completely fast and loose with with physical realities <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's gonna be good what have you been playing alex uh i've been dipping into uh bad north oh um, yeah which is a. Uh, which that is was a weirdly a Discord exclusive for a while. Wasn't it, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, but it was on. It came out on Switch first, mm. like maybe four months ago or something. Yeah, four months ago, and then yeah, like yeah, Discord. Mm. Hey, chat and buy games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Bad North. You are. It's like a medieval kind of a game where you are a bunch of soldiers on an island, like with kind of atmospherically kind of sort of Scandinavian pharaohs islandy kind of mm. um, names and um, and you are defending them from marauding Vikings and the Vikings come in on longboats from uh, out of the mist that's around your vi- your island and they they kind of appear and they kind of move on a trajectory onto the shores of your island and your object is to prevent them from destroying all the buildings on your uh, island because each of the buildings you can save uh, will give you coins and the coins will allow you to upgrade your um, units uh, uh, sort of military units and it's sort of the overall structure is a bit like FTL where the Vikings <laughs> everything's like FTL <laughs> yeah everything is <laughs> so the, the structure is like the Vikings are coming from sort of the left-hand side of this sort of the map. It's coming from the west those because Vikings. those Vikings, those Western Vikings, <laughs> it's coming from the left, <laughs> and they're kind of sweeping along and kind of subsuming every for every uh, like um, a turn. What do you call it? Like when you when you play a mission, um, then you have to kind of pour, you know, sort of rest your soldiers, and then in while they're resting. The, the Vikings will kind of oh, right. sort of take some more yeah, like islands. Met, metagame turn. Yeah. And though that once an island is taken by the Vikings, you can't um, access it anymore. You can't mm. sort of go on there. Um, and you, so you're basically moving eastwards with the, the Vikings chasing after you. Um, and and you your effect of your life is, is your soldiers because once your, a unit of soldiers is defeated... Um, it is gone forever and there are certain islands as you're going along which will give you new more soldiers or might afford you um, items that you can 
give to your soldiers like uh, there's a there's a hammer for instance which kind of gives you an ability to do kind of a big smash on the ground if you you know if you select that unit select the, the ability and then tap on the you know select the the the, the square that you want to go for um to deal extra damage so once that's lost it's gone forever um and you've basically got to survive as long as you can you know or, or to get to the end um which i have not got to in fact there may not be an end there surely is an end <laughs> they're all, all the islands are procedurally generated um uh and the units of soldiers is where the kind of delight comes in because they are they are a seer there are a little sort of phalanx of little figures and they rush about and they fight for you um it's very much like um it really reminds me of populace that, that has that sort of feel where every individual is modeled and simulated and you can see them running around and they have they're really sort of characterful so so uh in a level um normally you would you you see this longboat coming in out of the mist and you get your swords swordsman um unit and you click on it and then you click on the square at the shore where the where the where the longboat is going to come in and they wait there and then as soon as the longboat long longboat comes in uh the, kind of the soldiers long board longboards, and that's yeah it's like some surface <laughs> when the surface arrives <laughs> the the your soldiers will do this like there's a little moment usually where they they sort of step back and you kind of go Oh, are they oh, nice. scared? Are they going to do anything? <laughs> and then they leap in, and you can see the fight happening, and it's all—it's being simulated. It's not sort of civilization style. A right. dice has been rolled, and now you're watching a little animation to kind of, sort of, you know, uh, sort of show you the results of the, the roll. But this is like it's being simulated in real time, and there are various different types of units. There are swords, swordsmen. Swordsmen are. Great for melee, believe it or not. (laughs) (laughs) But they also have shields, and shields is what you need against enemy archers. Right. Um, There are archers, and they've got these fantastically inaccurate um, uh, uh, arrows, which are nice and huge. So like when you're zoomed out on your (laughs) island, because the island is basically your view sort of um, rotates around the middle of the island. It's got a very like diorama kind of look. Very diorama, yeah. You want to... 3D print it and have it on a desk. Yeah, they're all really lovely little sort of, um, sort of, yeah, little sort of Scandi islands, sort of craggy, but kind of blobby craggy. Um, can you have blobby craggy? Is that a thing? <laughs> Probably is. They found a way. <laughs> but the, um, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the arrows are huge and you watch them kind of sort of sail right over the heads of the things you need to kill and go oh god but then they plop they land in the water and they go like you can hear them (laughs) plopping and (laughs) so and then there are uh, pikes or spears probably pikes is probably the word and they are really defensive so you would you you kind of have to use them to anticipate where the enemy are going to be because they will stand there and they will kind of poke them out you know at towards the enemy and they are very strong in that defensive thing but as soon as you move them you know, mm. you know, if the the enemy has got around you, your pike are now useless. So it's kind of all up to the swords to clean up. So it's really simple, uh, sort of setup, but you're having to adapt to the fact that like these Vikings keep coming in and coming in. I actually thought it seemed really easy as I was starting, and I played for like I don't know, I played for an hour, um, you know, and just wasn't 
really kind of finding a huge amount of challenge. It's really enjoyable because watching them pathfind around the island is just <laughs> delightful because it's this little bunch and they're kind of so kind of eagerly kind of doing what you ask them to. How many people do you have in a unit? Um, I think that it starts out at a something like ten, like eight or ten. Okay, so quite big. Yeah, but then like kind Warhammer. of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but like... By you know you can upgrade the size of, of of your unit so you can get up to something like twelve or sort of sixteen or something I can't remember, mm. but um, you know and the coins you're putting into them kind of really upgrade them. Um, what I don't sort of what what I just you know I I came up against a level where I wasn't really paying attention. I would, hubris had hit me, <laughs> and I only and you can decide how many units you um, you commit to a to an, an island because because for every mission or every island you put your units into they need a, a turn to rest and by this point i had six units kind of that i'd collected and i thought i'd send three into this one and then i can send three into the, another one yeah. without spending a turn and therefore letting the, the vikings catch up therefore i'll be quids in earning coins um, and that, that hadn't been a problem until now and I was taken apart <laughs> and they slaughtered me so then you, you lost those three units those three units are gone completely Shit. gone <laughs> because once you're on the island there's no getting out like it's either right. like total loss or you get out you know sort of there's there isn't this sort of you can't sort of just go okay 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 you know like, <laughs> we'll we'll back out now <laughs> we've lost one but we've we've but this one yeah it should be an option i feel like abandon the island but keep your men like they i think it, it's thematically it kind of fits because they are they're on an island like they are trapped on an island mm. like and you're gonna have to see that you've committed your troops onto this island can you just the vikings have come look here's my, stri- my strategy <laughs> is, can we just all go around the circumference of the island and come back to the vikings boats while they're still chasing us and then steal them and yeah that's the point <laughs> oh that'd have been really good that'd have been yeah. all their longboards <laughs> yeah yeah get to surf out into the distance and <laughs> i think that's how surfing works <laughs> is a longboard actually a like some sort of uh uh um um, <laughs> thinking rollers. I'm really cool because I really know what all these terms are. <laughs> I'm going to give up on this. Are you saying it's like a skateboard? Yes, I am. That's yeah, what, why I, think, I was there, groping. I think for. there's a skateboard longboard, but I think there's also a surfboard longboard. Okay, that's good. That's good because uh, that's good. I'm really up on my na- my gnarly. <laughs> See, I know gnarly activities. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I lost all three. Like uh, my swords, my swordsman went first. But then I had pikemen and archers, and like pikemen archers are great, but it's situationally mm. like, and fundamentally, like, oh, suddenly I was unable to react to the fact that three long bo- longboats came in from three directions, and like that's ah, nothing I yeah. could do, and they wiped me out. So I'm now having to kind of address the rest of the game with three units, <laughs> and like, which feels viable. punitive. Like it feels scary because like fuck. I literally can't, you know, but it's a game where you kind of, okay, well, we'll start again. Or Hmm. you'd persevere and, you know, and then with the knowledge that you're going to start again. It feels like a bit of a flaw to me in in that the lesson I take away from this is, oh, when I play this, I'll just never experiment or push Mm. the envelope or try Mm. anything other than just like all people and all missions always. Um, Because the stakes are so high that, that your one little experiment, it seems like it might have scotched your whole campaign. There's definitely, I can see that, that the way that the 
Vikings are sweeping in from the west, there are probably going to be situations where, because the the islands are interconnected, like so you you can't um, uh, you when you when you uh, take an island when you kind of like play a mission on an island, the the uh, the adjacent islands are now uh, available, so you can go to those ones, and some of the routes you know, that, that, that sort of open up as you're traveling east mean that you've got to have made your way up to the northern edge so you can get around to the sort of the next right. island. There's, and that situation will mean that you might be in a situation where you can't, you, you're going to need to commit a small number of troops in order to, you know, not uh, give away the turn so that they won't take... Just, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not explaining this very well, but <laughs> yeah, you know, you don't want them to sweep in and then cut you off from the the only route forward. Yeah. Hmm. But it's yeah, I've only I've only played sort of, you know, for probably about an hour and a half now. But just the delight, it's basically a, a one hand game. Like you hmm. click here and you click there. You know, you right, would it work well there. on a touch screen. Yeah, totally. So so from what I read, I haven't played the Switch version, but um. It is one of the few game, Switch games which is better on the touchscreen than on the TV oh. with a with a pad. And I can certainly feel. I certainly don't. I haven't tried it with a pad, but having played it with a mouse, I don't really like the idea of having to kind of you know use a pad to kind of select yeah. you know sort of make your way through all this sort of the the, the squares to get to places. Yeah, I played on Switch Grid. briefly. Um... And but only with the gamepad, I think. I don't think I knew it had touchscreen controls. Um, and yeah, it wasn't. I I got a little way into it, and then thought I don't want to be playing us on a gamepad. Yeah, yeah. But it's. But I'm interested in this the, the meta game stuff because, uh, like pushback from the enemy force is something that has rarely been done well in those in the, in the meta game layer, like Dark Crusade kind of famously fucked it up <laughs> other than that that game was near perfect uh, but that was the, the tell me how game. it fucked it up so like it was Dark's crusade i never played the first time around and then i actually sat down and played it uh about three months ago oh, yeah. and then i got completely wasted <laughs> by chaos like, out of the blue i, and I don't know i should come say back from uh, it. i do love that game to death and i played all of the subsequent ones and um uh wait was there only one more after that maybe there was uh but uh, the thing that was tedious about it was that you would take a territory, and so you play like map X and you win it, and then an enemy force invades that territory on the metagame and you just play map X again. Like you just took it and it's either you surrender that territory or you play that exact same map again. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you could fix that. You could make it so that they never invade the territory you just took, uh, which would be, I can't quite think why they didn't fix that. <laughs> but... It would all. It's always going to be a bit of a drag to like fight on a battlefield you already fought on. Like unless the situation is drastically different. But it could, it's does, been a does long it not? Time. Does it not take the opportunity to to change some of the things around? Like because because you might have taken it originally from a different one of the other factions, and and or they might have a base in another part of the level. They could surely kind of sort of mix some things around. Yeah, it would. As I remember it, you like started in the same location as you did when you were taking the territory really? which, which, huh. um you had like if you if you own the territory you start with a bunch of stuff so you have some like turrets and some buildings already made um but i think you started in the same starting location but also just i don't know it was the, all the maps were the multiplayer maps um like 
these very symmetrical artificial arenas and uh, I didn't mind that at all because I wanted I just wanted like my eternal complaint with all strategy campaigns is like just let me play a normal fucking game of this game like, yeah. I like the game let me just play it where like I start and the enemy starts at the same time we both have to build our base and then we both have to attack rather than here's a scripted scenario where the enemy has a magic train and you have three units and you must destroy the third compartment by Tuesday uh, so I loved that it was just like here's like oh it's just the fucking skirmish maps we haven't made any special ones just like I mean they did but um, they made them so they're symmetrical and so that any starting location works and the enemy if you're attacking their stronghold it's a special mission and I think in some scenarios they will have like more defense or there'll be multiple enemy bases or whatever but it was still by and large just like play a match of an RTS yeah. and I really like that but it did mean that if you're playing the same map again I suppose that would be even worse if they're scripted missions but yeah um, back to the train by Tuesday <laughs> 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 yeah and then ftl has the the rebellion chasing you which does work uh it, it does almost like the sort of hunger mechanic from roguelikes and the ghost from spelunky right um it works but it doesn't really feel like an actual enemy yeah it's very abstract isn't you. it yeah i think that bard north definitely gets around that by the fact that you see the enemy like this it is literally the enemy that keeps right. coming after you but it's it's the 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 effect of the um the watch coming after you is weirdly abstract because that's not what kills you it's the it's what happens to you in the levels mm. that is what kills you um and it does cause you to make take risks because you're anxious to earn coins and you can only earn coins by running missions but then whenever you run a mission you're going to be spending turns and therefore losing islands to the to mm. the to the, the Vikings, and so that is a sort of a, a loop that that works. But it's strange that the thing that kills you isn't actually the FTL style. Well, now you've been caught up and it's over. Yeah. Hmm. Because you're not physical on the map, I should say. Yeah, you're kind of. It's just yeah, you, you can't see yourself. You you don't right. how you aren't kind of um yeah. bodied embodied yeah 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 but it, um it's so delightful just moving stuff around and watching stuff happen like you know sticking sticking archers up on the cliff and seeing them fire down and seeing the sort of the eager way that the the the, the pikes kind of point towards the enemy <laughs> um and kind yeah, of i was i was following this on twitter for years yeah, yeah. just um because i think i was already following the artist um his first name, I think, is Oscar, but I don't know. His Oscar Stahlberg. Oh, yes. Yeah. That sounds right. Um, yeah, and he's, he was posting gifts of this, and they always look beautiful. And I was always thinking, I'm definitely going <laughs> to get this when it comes out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's really sort of delightful, but it's kind of grim as well, which I quite <laughs> like. The, actually, I think Chris Donlan in his review for um, uh, Eurogamer. Eurogamer sort of pointed out the kind of the, the grimness of the theming with the kind of like the you know like the levels almost look like sort of just sort of you know there's lovely little kind of dioramas you kind of want yeah. to kind of 3d print it lovely yeah what have you been playing uh many things uh most of which i've already talked about but <laughs> tough <laughs> um so hitman last time i spoke about it I, I played um all of the missions but just like once each uh and not to a great standard and i was saying the game didn't really work that way um and it the game itself seems to have mixed feelings about whether it's a story-driven thing that you should play the next level when you finish level level before, or whether you should be replaying levels as soon as, like, just 
like play all of level one every possible way, then move on to level two. And obviously it's up to you. Uh, I did what felt natural, which was play what each level once, and it wasn't that great. <laughs> but it wasn't like, I wasn't thinking like, oh, these levels suck or anything. It was just like the once to experience is very much muddling your way through, not really knowing what's going on. And then you do it, uh, mostly through saving and loading. <laughs> and uh, you just kind of uh, progress without really getting to the depth of it. Now, I so I thought, okay, well, now what I do is I just play each level as if it's the only level in the game and just like thoroughly explore it. And I tried that with Miami, which is the race course level. And your target is on the racetrack when you start and she's doing laps. And at a certain point, the way the level normally works is at a certain point, she, you're told, oh, the race is entering its final lap. And like, if you want to kill her, you can, you could just take a sniper rifle and shoot her out of her car. Um, or there's ways to kind of sabotage the race mid race. Uh, but lots of the ways of killing her involve waiting for the race to be over and then but preparing something ahead of time like the the chalice that she drinks from um if she wins you could poison that but then you have to make sure she wins because uh, actually she does quite badly normally so you have to like rig it so that the other um the other guy doesn't do as well when and you say normally like you is is her fortunes entirely in your hands as to what you kind of Sabotage. Uh, yes, yeah. It's, I, right. I believe she always loses if you don't intervene. Yeah. And if you intervene, you can sabotage. You know who's going to win. You're pretty much, you don't even have to let it play out the first time. You're told uh, it looks really bad for her. This other guy who she's up against it seems unbeatable. Um, and all of that is to say that I got like 50, 60% of the way through all of the challenges for this this level which is kind of how i like to explore a level is just do all the challenges because they're all reading the challenges reveals all these interesting things um that you can do and then setting out to do them you discover even more about the level and you, it starts to feel like oh everything here has a purpose and it's, it's a really cool puzzle but all of the challenges that involve getting her after she finishes the race um or setting something up like so that in, in time for her to finish the race i am not able to get because i now have a glitch where the race just ends immediately like, I take 10 <laughs> steps from the starting location and it says, 47, the race is entering a final lap. 47, the race is ended. <laughs> like, just like that. What? Sometimes it even says, 47, the race is ended. 47, the race is ending its final lap. <laughs> and it's not just the announcement. It really has ended. Like, she's she's finished and there's no way to get to... I can't poison that chalice in 10 steps. <laughs> it can't be done. So that, that mission is just basically bugged out and it just... I can't... And this is like when you started from scratch. Yeah. Oh wow. Uh, yeah. In fact, because I'm actually playing on uh, PC instead of PS4 for this, um, I started on PS4 and now I've switched to PC because all my friends are playing on PC and they, um, I want they're all getting competitive over leaderboards. Like uh, <laughs> Phil Savage and Sam Roberts, a PC gamer, have been competing over this. And I know just from the way they're talking about it that I'm never going to be on their level. <laughs> but I do. I have like I think I have like eight friends playing Hitman Two on PC, and that's enough that I, I'll, I'm interested where I fall in that. If it was only those two, I'd be like, oh, fuck it, because they're always going to be above me. But <laughs> if there's eight, maybe I'll be in the top four. I don't know. <laughs> Which is, it, it's, it puts even more emphasis on the way Hitman scores missions, which is a, um, a problem I have with these current iterations, where it's just, it's silent and Saturn or nothing. Like, you just do it the exact way we have in mind, or, or you fucked up. Um, but anyway... I, so I can't do it for Miami. So I moved on to uh, Santa Fortuna, which is the Colombian level. And um, I've got nearly all the challenges for that now. And yeah, it's great. <laughs> it, it feels... It's, I'm getting now what I got out of the previous Hitman, which is um, like just this huge interconnected puzzle where there's something going on in every little part of it. And um, 
there's kind of every every conversation actually relates to something that you can do or mm. see or find out there's actually there's still, one of the things i haven't done is there's a bunch of people talking about some kind of uh hidden treasure in in this level and i haven't found that yet um but other things like uh just a, an enigmatic achievement about making the hippo happy like okay there's a hippo <laughs> and then i go and find the hippo and I'm like, what would make the hippo happy why is the hippo happy and then of course there's a note about the hippo's psychology and there's a hippo whisperer who's trying to make the hippo happy and there's a backstory about how that was hired and why the, the target cares about them so much um and there's a whole thing i mentioned before that a lot of the levels in this are references to especially blood money um and other games in the series uh, i think three of them are references to blood money levels like the whole level is a reference to a previous level and this one, you're assassinating one of the Delgado family, and the Delgados are um, in the first proper mission of Hitman Blood Money. You're assassinating two of them, right? Um, and there's a scene like Rico Delgado has a whole like personal museum to himself in his house, <laughs> uh, where you can like, uh, you know, his the first baseball bat he killed someone with is in a glass case, and um, <laughs> there's a bottle of wine from his cousin's vineyard or his uncle's vineyard, uh, and that's the guy you killed in, in Blood Money. <laughs> And there's a, I didn't know this when I just rushed through the level, but um, now that I play it more thoroughly, there's a whole conversation he has with all the henchmen where he shows them around this gallery and talks about each individual thing. And he talks about the wine. He talks about how he knows. Uh, it's canon, by the way, that you killed those two people in Blood Money uh, in a way that looked like an accident, which was possible. <laughs> and I did do that run once. Um, and he says, you know, the, uh, the reporter's an accident and the henchman says it's a tragedy. And he says, no, it was criminal. I know it was an assassin and I'm closing in on who it is. And when I find out that the vengeance is going to be sweet. Um, <laughs> that's so that's nice. nice that is very nice. And it's full of stuff like that. There's so much that um, it all means something. It all hooks up to other things. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's so... The fact that it's not obvious to start with is either great or terrible. And I'm not quite yeah. sure... Because that structure of you know the old the old game the, the you know Blood Money and and two and whatever they all were joined up by a story which I always interpreted as you you'd play each level once but like you know you're not really meant you know you shouldn't really because you are meant to kind of go back and revisit and yeah you know investigate and yeah experiment it would be it would all be different if they if just that rating system changed and it, they don't even need to take out the current rating system just make that like what they're rating you on right now is kind of a stealth metric it's just how cleanly and silently and un- invisibly did you do this um and that just involves that necessitates certain tactics you have to keep using this this pacify move to to uh, anyone you want to get out of the way you're not allowed to kill them so you have to do this so all of the lethal weapons are almost irrelevant to the game um uh half the challenges relate to things that violate the silent assassin criteria so doing those is purely like a kind of curio on the way like it wouldn't make sense to do this on your first run because the game's just going to tell you you did it wrong you'll just get zero stars and it'll say you fucked up because you did this thing that um that we told you to do in the challenges and they could just do that they could have that rating system and that's the silent assassin rating system and then below that there's the psychopathy rating system and below that there's the style rating system and below that there's the achievements rate. like i would settle for one that was just like wow you did like five different challenges on that one run like you managed to feed this guy to the hippo while shooting this guy uh, in the head and pushing this guy off the balcony and those are three different stylish deaths and so you get like you get both a bonus for doing three different challenges and you get like a variety bonus because you did them all in different ways and that kind of thing 
And there are, like, you can get points for those things, but the rating just tells you you did it wrong. No, you fucked up. <laughs> yeah, strange, isn't it? Because I, I keep wondering why there has to be some sort of extrinsic, extrinsic sort of um, rating system at all when actually when you're playing, like, the, the, the delight in seeing one of your plans come together or to see the game recognise that that's, you know, that there's some sort of intricate system that you've discovered and that you yeah. can kind of play into and you know that, that was never invisible when the first time you know the first time you played it through that it feels that those sorts of things you know maybe maybe rewarded by the challenge system should be the, the fundamental you know like the psychopathy you know rating is is you know is one thing but like why why kind of uh uh give them of some sort of sort of class you know as a result you know of what yeah. you do the and as i say the leaderboards have added extra pressure now to just do the silent assassin thing because that's how you're rated it's just mm. it's really it's just how quickly did you do silent assassin so it's both you must do silent assassin to really be competitive at all and then once you do everything depends on how fast did you do that and um that's not that interesting to me really like there's a certain i'll do it on every mission i'll get silent assassin on every mission ultimately um but the other thing is because you unlock stuff as you play, like you get, you level up in general and you get access to new weapons that way. But for each location, you also have a location mastery thing that goes up to level 20. And like I say, I've done nearly every challenge for um, Santa Fortuna and I'm, le I'm level 17 out of 20 mastery. And that means I haven't unlocked the starting location that's inside the mansion. Right. And so there's kind of no point in me trying to be competitive on the Silent Assassin ratings because I'm pretty sure that's the best place to start to be oh, closest yeah. to the best disguise. And to, and so yeah. and even if it's not, I need to try it to find that out, right? And so all this time that I'm playing, I'm not bothering with Silent Assassin. I'm not even thinking about it because the now that I have to optimize for score, it's not worth me trying to do that until I have all the tools at my disposal, which I don't get till I hit level 20 of mastery which means doing all the challenges and the challenges i talked about this with hitman uh, season one but um it's this weird thing where you just you don't have to do them in a successful run you just once you've done the challenge you just load it on save game and then do a different challenge like if, if it's like three different ways to kill the same person you just save just before you kill them and then you do it the three different ways and then reload a different save and then i actually i kept a save that's like me standing next to a speedboat after i've killed the three and in, in not a very interesting way and every time i've done some more challenges I'll load that save game, get in the speedboat, and that's when it all registers and it all unlocks the new stuff, which is very weird that I have to do that. I don't mind it. It's not too annoying, but it's kind of strange that that's how it works. And so uh, I did the elusive target, uh, which is Sean Bean this time. Yeah. Um, which mission is that in? Uh, it's just its own mission. Oh, sorry. It's uh, Miami. Which, Miami, just, right. Yeah. I, hopefully they're going to do like one per mission and go through the game because Miami is the first one. Um, I would actually be interested in a, in a elusive target on the tutorial level because it's this like mansion on a beach and it's it's big enough and it has enough to it that it would actually it could still be an interesting mission. But anyway, um, th this one is like man, they had a budget for this elusive target because <laughs> it's a significant amount of Sean Bean dialogue. He tours the whole facility. There's special like NPCs just for this mission. Like there's a pre-arranged rendezvous with um, someone who can get you into a meeting with him. Um, who is called it's called like 
James Reddy. And I don't know if he's called Reddy, Reddy. because you go to him when you're ready to do the mission. <laughs> it's just, it just struck me as an interesting choice of saying. Um, that is elusive targets and contracts, actually. Um, I want to talk about the contracts later. Um, don't let you save or load. And elusive targets makes a lot of sense because it's like this one shot thing. It's like a daily challenge, basically. Um, oh, so you get to play it tomorrow like the next day if, if you sorry fail. no no it's not like they change in that way i just mean it's like it's a one-shot thing right, right, right. If, if you fuck it up you fucked it up forever yeah. if you succeed you've succeeded forever there is no saving loading that's a lot of content for a, for a one-shot it is yeah it's, it's interesting to stick to their guns on that because they could do what a lot of games do with the daily challenge uh it, which is the, your first shot counts yeah but after that you can replay just yeah, for fun yeah, and, yeah. and you know just see how you do um, but they've, they've really stuck to their guns you cannot replay this at all after your first attempt even if you just take 10 steps and die for some reason like tough you'll never see Sean Bean in this game <laughs> um, and I like uh, I did time limited events in the heat signature and I really backed off on them each time we did them and made them more and more generous and, and eventually um, made them to, well, I probably just won't do them again uh, because people get really stressed about them. I got so many, I was really surprised. We were doing a much more relaxed version than Hitman was. Um, but some people were really stressed out about, oh God, I'm going to miss it because I'm away that weekend. And um, uh, even when it was like two weeks long, I, we had people stressing out about that. Um, so I'm sure they must have way worse because you get like this permanent unlocks that you can never get again. Like there's a special item you get for doing a elusive target successfully that if you fuck it up or if you fail to do it, you don't play the game that time, you'll just never get that item. Hmm. Um, which is absolutely people's like stress point with these kinds of things. Um, so it meant that uh, the rendezvous with, with the guy, Mr. Ready, who will take you up to the boardroom when you're ready. Um, you're not ready unless you have some kind of disguise like you need he's not too fussy about what it is but it has to be like a security guard or a bodyguard or like a scientist or a couple of other things and i didn't have one of those and so i went into the aquarium bit to try and like knock someone out but i couldn't get there was no one on their own so i had to like do the distraction thing and it took me a little while and then when i got back to mr ready he was i i walked up to him and then when i reached him to press use on him he started saying uh, oh screw this this isn't worth risking the contract for and stormed off like while I'm standing right there in the right disguise <laughs> I just like I must have been like half a second too late to actually like press use on him before he said that uh, and so even though I'm standing right there he storms off and then the opportunity's lost <laughs> you missed Sean Bean yeah no, no no I missed the opportunity to get the meeting with Sean Bean oh, I see. which is just right. one way into okay. the there. but actually um, uh, I ended up just like uh, I can't remember how exactly, but I got a bodyguard disguise. I think maybe there might be a bodyguard downstairs or I maybe just climbed up the pipe and um, got in there. And I ended up doing the mission in what I think is a very stylish and cool way. And it actually kind of felt not entirely clean, but kind of my own personal like failure state is if anyone shoots at me. Like if someone actually fires yeah. a gun at me, even if it doesn't hit, yeah. even if I uh, only take a minor amount of damage I kind of feel like oh I fucked this up yeah, yeah. in a single player that's when I'd usually oh sorry yeah, yeah because as soon as someone shoots like that's everybody, everybody I could have died then yeah. exactly you could have died and everybody's so, after therefore you. my strategy was bad yeah. um, and that didn't happen um, and I did it in the, like my favourite way to kill anyone in Hitman is to throw a knife at them <laughs> I'll do that if I possibly can I love throwing knives in games I love throwing knives especially in Hitman and in some Hitman games it's a really good strategy because it's almost completely silent like Unless someone's literally looking at the person, you sometimes you just get away with it because they weren't looking in the right direction at the right time. <laughs> um, and in, this was an especially cool one because I um, 
I did go to the meeting in the end. I had the board, the bodyguard disguise, and that gets you into the room. And once you're in the room, it doesn't matter who you are. You just sit in the seat, and like Sean Bean talks to you as if you're someone who's supposed to be at this meeting. <laughs> and uh, he does this very contrived thing of like, what is uh, Sean Bean meant to be in this? He is a famously unkillable assassin who has been like confirmed dead like five different times, and uh, he keeps coming back from the grave somehow. Uh, but he is also an assassin himself, so he is planning an assassination. And Kronstadt, who are like the, the racing company who are owned by the two people who are there to kill normally, um, are helping him. They're like supplying him with weapons and stuff. And so he must be paying them, I guess. Um, and so they are treating him as a VIP and he has bodyguards and they're showing him all their, their coolest kit. Um, and this meeting is, I think they're discussing the target that he's going to kill. And <laughs> very incongruously, he suddenly turns to you and says, let's do a thought experiment. How would you kill me if you had to kill me right now? Just in this room. And you have this like semi-interactive oh. thing. This is what I mean when I said I had a budget because like there's a there's basically a mini game for answering this question because there's no dialogue system in Hitman. You can't choose yeah. your answer. But instead, whatever you look at in the room, it pops up with like a prompt to talk about that thing. And so I there was a again incongruously, there's a kitchen knife on the board, conference room table. Don't really know why. Uh, so I looked at that and I said, I'd take that knife and I'd throw it at you. And then he said, okay, but that would have all these kinds of risks and well, yada, yada, yada. And then m- m- give me your, your next idea. And then gaze and at the guillotine in the corner. So there's a bunch of other things in the room, but I just decided, no, that's how I'm going to kill you. So I just, I just stood up from the chair and walked out the room, <laughs> which I thought was kind of a, like, uh, you know, in fiction, a really sinister fucking thing to happen. <laughs> and as an assassin kind of a stylish thing to do and then he went off and looked at the labs and I followed him in the labs I, I kind of tailed him everywhere just as if I was part of his retinue because I looked just like his bodyguards and then he eventually circled all the way right down to the conference room and as he went in I found a window to just I already had the knife I just threw the knife in the back of his head and people saw him die uh, I think I think somebody saw me from across the room like a civilian saw me do it across the room uh, but I just bolted out of the room immediately so nobody fired a shot and nobody knew where I was after I left and I just ran straight to the exit and it felt so cool and then the the result was like zero stars <laughs> oh, come on what like, about the poetry come on tail, spotted <laughs> body found a security camera saw me like just, just fail 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 <laughs> oh come on come on that was too beautiful they should have you could at least have flagged the you know that the, the, you you'd indicated that item <laughs> yeah. and use that item and refuse to give any alternatives <laughs> i'm not even going to give you three options i'm telling you exactly how i'm going to kill you <laughs> does it does it make it like is sean bean i.e sean bean like the person sean oh, bean no, he has is like that it. a reference like you know is it sort of like oh you tend to die a lot oh, yeah, in all yeah. the things you're in. All right, so that's one of the jokes. Yeah, the fact right, that he's right. like the unkillable is, is a right. reference to how often he gets killed and everything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, he's not playing Sean Bean, if that's what you're asking. <laughs> he does have like an in-fiction name. Well, what's ex- I what's hope, his accent? I really hope, in fact, the next loser target is just Sean Bean again. <laughs> it's just like, no, he's still not dead. He fucked it up. That would be good. <laughs> just He's every single loser target in the whole series. It's just like seven of him. <laughs> If you come up with the reason how he didn't die from mm. your attempt as well, although that might He's be immune a to kitchen challenge. Knives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My kitchen knife proof vest. <laughs> Which also absorbs half a kitchen knife to make it look convincing. <laughs> it's a, uh, 
and and is that time limited like you get one chance at it but is that is the elusive target like it's, like in season one where yeah you, it was only available it's Shit, i think it runs out in like less than a week now fuck so okay. when you're hearing this and you might only have like a day or two left i think yeah um yeah, I do. I mean, there's a lot of me that likes the idea of the time pressure, and there's yeah. a lot of me that is absolutely fucking, <laughs> you know, kind of. There um, is a, one thing I'll say in its favor is that um, you've got to improvise if something goes wrong, which usually in, in yes. normal play you don't. And it's I talked about this last time. Like uh, my friend Jack is much more interested in improvising and, and rolling with it, and I'm much less so. I'm like, well, now it's a shooter, and I don't like it as a shooter. But there are there is an there is a middle ground where like fuck this has gone totally wrong. But if I slip around here and I just change into a uh, a mechanics costume, I just I'm just going to shoot this fucking guy in the head. The, <laughs> the moment that I kind of like that um, in Hitman that only comes up if you're forced to improvise is everyone's shooting at me. I get I burst into a room. There's just one guy in there, and I just fucking shoot him. And I take his clothes. And there's nowhere to hide the body. There's no time to hide the body. And I just move on. And I'm just like, well, they're going to find a naked waiter. <laughs> they're going to know for sure who they're looking for. But for these 10 seconds, this waiter outfit will get me somewhere. <laughs> and actually, I think information seems to spread a bit less uh, dramatically than it used to in like in the olden days. Like I, The way I remember it working is like if they find the body of the person you're dressed as you are blown for everyone everywhere right and now it doesn't feel like that if you're on the other side of the level people are buying yeah, your disguise yeah, the, the information hasn't percolated across yeah i'd be really interested to know exactly how that works on the back end yeah it's a difficult challenge because if you make it too good it feels like there's no point in in continuing to play but if you make it too bad then it it's really exploitable you know but if you kind of model it i'm sure it would never feel understandable you know if you kind of actually modelled a character yeah. talking to another and like that means that it would have you know the confirmation was you'd net you it would just be pointless for a player because like, yeah. you'd never know it you'd never see it so i played around a bit with contracts um which is the mode where you play one of the existing levels but you mark who the targets are and then you kill them however you want and after you finished it um you then get to set that as a challenge for other players and you can only challenge them to do things you did, but you don't have to challenge them to do everything you did. So if you manage to do it without um, being spotted, that's an optional condition you can put on the mission, or you can take it off if you think it's too harsh. Uh, so I created one that you can play if you're playing on PC. Um, the way to find it is to search for the word unrelated. It's called uh, unrelated workplace accidents. <laughs> and it's in the, there's the construction site area of Santa Fortuna, which is... Um, uh, it's strangely isolated and it does, it's not that relevant to the main game. You certainly don't need to go there to kill any of the three targets. There's certain ways you can kill one of the targets there. Um, but it's nicely kind of self-contained and it has a lot of uh, of ways to make people die in accidents. So I just picked two people and I killed them in accidents. Um, and that mode, I th- I'm quite interested in it now because I played it early on in season one and it just failed for me utterly because everything interesting I could do to somebody wasn't tracked as a as a possible hmm. kill method. So if you push someone off a cliff, it would just say any weapon. Uh, it doesn't know how, it doesn't, it can't register what you did. And also back then there were no playstyle restrictions. You couldn't say, you could say what disguise they had to be wearing, but you couldn't say, don't let yourself get spotted or that kind of thing. And now those restrictions are in there too. Um, and that makes it way more interesting. Um, it's still the, the sort of like, 
the infrastructure for like browsing these and finding them is very uh, opaque. <laughs> it's like they have lots of options for how you filter them, but it's not really clear. You can't really get a sense for one of these things without just playing it. And so it's just filled with loads that just have kind of like half written names or just generic default names. And it's not clear what the mission, what the idea behind the mission is, what the concept is. And there might be some interesting stuff in there, but I don't know because I can't mm. tell. But um, you get to write a description, though, don't you? That yeah. would be the tell, I think. Yeah, so it's it's slim pickings to be honest. <laughs> if you get away the descriptions, there are some that are like they're sort of trying to ape the style of the game and say, "Welcome to Miami '47." Yada yada. Oh, um, come on, doesn't quite work. And then the like what the only one I saw that seemed like it had some thought behind it um, was unfortunately rather unsavoury, <laughs> which was uh, it's called killing serially <laughs> and it's just like the one i saw was like on this particular mission kill these four targets all with the fiber wire and the concept is like oh you're like a serial killer so you have this modus operandi that you use mm. every time but they're all women and then uh. i saw another one called with the same title but a different location and they're all women again oh. <laughs> like, oh, no, i think this is a guy who just really wants to kill women over and over again <laughs> I mean, sure, that's the best thing serial killers do. They have a type sometimes, but uh, I don't want. <laughs> it makes it a little bit distasteful. I don't want to. It's already. I mean, the game is already borderline unhealthy. <laughs> it's not a great thing you're doing. <laughs> what um? So you see so when you're playing that mission to set it up. Are you were you making choices like you think oh this one I was yeah it's, so it's it's much easier to do this than it is for the people who do it after you even though they're doing the same thing because you get to decide retroactively who you intended to kill yeah. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> yeah. this is setting up the accidents in the in the construction site is all about getting someone to stand in one particular location and the target who you can kill there in the normal mission walks to these locations she's literally given a tour of the most dangerous places to stand at the construction site and so you just have your pick you can do whatever you like but to get npcs to stand there um is uh, a little bit tricky you've got to kind of move them there um somehow and so one trick you can do is you can place a coin on the ground like coins you can throw them and they make a noise and distract people but if you place them uh that has a different use because people don't hear it land so like the guy around the corner who don't want to come won't hear won't come but someone whose patrol route takes them past this location will see it on the ground and then walk to that exact spot to pick yeah, it up. Yeah. And if that's below a giant crate, for example. Uh, the challenge in mine is that the two people you have to kill are both guards. They're not construction workers. Um, and the guards, uh, I'm pretty sure, and their patrols don't normally go near these things. But if you know the mechanics of Hitman well, there's a way to distract specific, get specifically a guard to stop somewhere. And if a civilian sees it, they won't be distracted. Or they will be, but they'll get a guard to go and do it for you. So there's, there's your hint. Yeah. <laughs> so I did do that. Like a, this is how I, because I, I was actually uh, aiming to kill Noah's, the ones who have the dot above their head because they know that you're not really them. Um, and I think the two guys that you have to kill in my mission are both, they're called enforcers is what the game calls them. Um I think they both are those people. So I was try- trying to... What do you call guards. them? Knowers. Knowers. This is Jack's word, because uh, they know. Knowers. <laughs> no, it's okay. I, I I was with the N-O-E-R-S, yeah. and I was thinking, they just... No, 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 no. <laughs> they do no, say no, no to no. <laughs> They're quite negative. But as opposed, yeah, knowledges. 
I like that. There's one mission where like the knowers just know no matter what you're wearing. Like there's some people who are on the lookout for assassins, and so they just always can see you through your disguise. Oh, it's a chef. It's got to <laughs> be an assassin. <laughs> yeah. And Columbia is a, 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 an awkward one because a lot of the people you're impersonating are specific people, and none of them are white. <laughs> like you're almost always impersonating somebody who is not white. In one case, another baffling one is you can knock out and impersonate one of the few white people you can impersonate is a tattoo artist. He is heavily tattooed. And when you take his disguise, you have the tattoos. And I'm very unclear on how that works. Did I just do these? <laughs> when I take it off, I don't have the tattoos. So is he wearing fake sleeves, even though like he's a tattoo artist? It's a confusing game in many ways. But yeah, I am enjoying it now a lot more than I did the first time through. And I will continue to just play each mission thoroughly, except Miami until I fucking fix Miami. Do you remember when you played uh, Blood Money first? Like, do you remember the first yeah. play experience? I mean... Like, the context. Were you were you a PC gamer then? Was uh, before it? That's a good question. Can't remember. I think it might have been early PC gamer days for me. I think I was living in my first flat in Bath. <laughs> so, yeah, God, it would have been a really long time ago. Like, more than 10 years, I think. Um... And I don't, I don't remember for sure how I played it, but I don't think, I think what I did was I obsessed over my first run through, so I wouldn't even like turn in the mission until I had one I was happy with. But then I remember the thing that I loved about it was, um, for one thing, it was much more of a surprise that you could replay these missions over mm-hmm. and over because the previous games you could a bit, but it wasn't didn't support it quite so well. And I would just like come up with an idea for a concept for how assassins could be done. And then I'd do every single mission in the game that way. Like one of them was always the sniper rifle, always shoot them in the chest and never change out of your suit. And every single mission can be done that way. And like not with, you don't get the silent assassin rating because somebody finds a body, but that yeah. game was much less, um, it didn't feel like it was judging you so much for that. It would, cause it would give you like a different, it would characterize your performance no matter how you did it. So if you kill everyone, you'd be called a psychopath. And I think, uh, I think there was even like a special word for the sniper rifle approach, like they called you a button man or something. Um, and it was full of stuff like that. Like there was particular like characterizations you could get for doing certain things. So it was sort of inherently kind of support that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I always wonder sort of about the ways I used to play the games that I kind of play the follow-ups for now, you know, yeah. where I remember being able to play RTS's kind of particularly weirdly particularly RTS's kind of in a much more open and enjoyed in a way that I'd much I used to enjoy much more than now and now I kind hmm. of I don't know I don't feel the same do you, do you feel now that you have to win just play the most efficient way or uh I feel I I I feel less patient about um learning how to work, play well, right? And I think that's a sort of objective. That's 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 a sort of result of time. I think you know I just don't have much free time anymore, and you know, but also I don't know. I I don't know whether the games now there are so many more options. I don't know. I don't know whether this plays true to to Blood Money versus you know the the, the new Hitman where you know, whether the levels are objectively 
more feature filled, larger with more options. I don't know, but I tend to feel a bit. I've I definitely felt pretty paralyzed in in mm. Hitman One, two thousand sixteen, <laughs> <laughs> in a way that I hadn't in the past. But I, you know, but there's so many other factors. Yeah, you know, available time and and so on and so on and so on. In theory, that's what the the opportunities and mission stories are supposed to fix, mm. right? They just sort of tell you go here and do this, and those are. But they, you know, as you were saying last week, like they are very unsatisfying. Mm. You feel okay. Well, I didn't really have any impact on any of that then. Yeah, I wish they were just like clues, and I know you can control how much of them they tell you. Mm. But my problem is not with how, what they how they present it to you. It's it's with the the thing itself. It's like if you follow these steps. They get absurd in Santa Fortuna. I haven't tried them all in other levels, but it's every single one of them leads to the target just suddenly declaring, hey, bodyguards, all leave. <laughs> like, you know, you're getting a tattoo and you he asks, not only does he ask his bodyguard to leave, but he asks his wife to leave, who is the person he's getting a tattoo of. <laughs> the tattoo artist kind of needs the, like, the reference, right? And he insists that she leaves. Everyone, everyone who could possibly see him kill me, please leave. Please just look away for like 30 seconds. <laughs> like they're so absurdly like, because they, there must have been some concern that they wouldn't be worth it. Like it's a lot of effort to go to to set these things up. They're very elaborate. And so it has to be that without them, it's very, very difficult to kill them. They always have two bodyguards with them at all times and that kind of thing, uh, which is the part I don't like. Um, and with them, they're almost comically easy. <laughs> it's just like, let's make sure that nobody is seeing you at all from any angle. Um, and yeah, without a lot of narrative justification sometimes, like, yeah, there are, like, the, one of them is like, you've got a, this old guy who's who's like their drug cooker. Um, he's got a machine he's really excited about. And the way to kill him is you fix the machine. And when he sees the machine is working, he's like, everybody get out. <laughs> Because you can see I don't need any of you because this machine is working so well. I definitely don't need anyone to look at me or any guards of any kind because of the machine, it's so good. Just a series of very lucid reasons why someone might be alone. There are some like, you know, there's one with a love letter and it makes sense that she wants to be alone to read that. Um, Although she doesn't mind if you're there, by the way. (laughs) As long as the only person here is the assassin, that's fine. That's interesting that they kind of want to, you know... Because the emblematic deaths in Hitman are always the sort of you know, standing in, like engineering it so they're standing underneath the chandelier style kind of deaths, not the yeah. they're alone so you can stab them deaths. Yeah, they. I mean, they really they go big on these two. They have loads of custom dialogue for it, and all of the dialogue leading up to it is all double entendre about how they're going to be killed, um, uh, to the point of absurdity. Uh, but I was looking at. Um, people's there's like a sort of impressions thread on reddit of people just saying what they thought of it it's all very positive and quite a few people specifically say like there is nothing funnier than when you're going to kill someone and they're saying (laughs) stuff that can be interpreted as they (laughs) as you're going to kill them (laughs) really okay well i guess it's making someone happy fine (laughs) i would have said there's nothing weaker (laughs) but yeah. Um, so what I was going to say was like instead of those, I wish that they were just clues because there was one that I didn't find to very late in Santa Fe, you know, where it's just like the wife of somebody who works on the submarine they're building in the cave system is at a food vendor and she's just recounting that her husband got injured in this accident recently and she can't really talk about or he won't really tell her what it was about, but. Um, 
it's obvious that this is like an interesting lead. And if the if the clue was just like go here and listen to that conversation, and then it just left you, I, I was already thinking I want to follow this person, see where they go, because it's her husband, so he probably lives at where she lives, and she's probably going home now after this shop, so I can figure that out. But then of course the mission story is like go here, which is or follow her to her house, and you do, and that's you know it's the right thing to do. It just because it told me to do it suddenly, suddenly and all then, the magic had gone out of it, and it doesn't stop there. Obviously, then you just his clothes are just lying right there, and you just put them on, and then you just tells you exactly where to go and you kind of want I want half the puzzle I don't want the whole thing mm. just literally set up for me and it's kind of yeah it's a, it's a problem because they everything is so high security all the time that in order to make these opportunities worthwhile um, that when you get there there has to be some kind of huge crutch that helps you do it because otherwise you just it wouldn't be helpful. Like getting into someone's underground lair or getting into their bunker or getting into their office or getting into like the most private parts of their life still isn't useful in this game because they still have guards with them. I remember in Paris, like one of your targets has like three bodyguards with her at all times. Mm -hmm. And the time when she goes to her bedroom, like if you can get in there, if you can like figure out a way without these opportunities to to get into her bedroom, now there's only one guard and one guard in the immediate next room (laughs) looking the other way. It's like, that's, that's the lowest you can get is like two guards in her immediate vicinity. So you so you feel like therefore they're forcing a situation where it has some sort of arbitrary sort of um, slightly forced sort of situation. That, that yeah, that's why they keep having to have these lines about everybody leave me now. Yeah. <laughs> I need to be alone with this fact or idea. Or I'm having a tattoo done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and then it means that nothing else works. Like, or you can do other things, but they're always messy. There or you've got to spend endless time distracting people with coins <laughs> which is it's, it's actually amazing and this is, I don't want to brag about it too much because as I say I'm enjoying it now but it's just funny that it makes assassination so uncool <laughs> like it's about killing people which is like the, the like a very uh, you know morally uh, unsavory thing but like has glamour and and um, and yeah uh uh, coolness to it inherently but they make it about throwing coins <laughs> to make someone slightly turn to the left so you, and it's just really like slow to do it correctly and you've got to be so like fastidious and careful and don't hurt anybody and um and there are things like with the tools like shooting someone with a science person and hitman feels really good like it's really well made shooting um and throwing knives at people is really cool and there's so many you can do stuff where like you walk into a room and you throw a knife into one guy and shoot the other guy and then hide behind the wall and throw a brick at this guy as he comes around and then like all that stuff works but then the game just says no you did it wrong <laughs> it's a bad thing don't do that <laughs> should we do questions yeah let's do some questions good i have them here uh our first question is from henry who writes dear crates crows ands and bars which minigame or game mechanic would deserve to be a standalone title? Personally, I would love to play the hacking minigame from Paradroid without all the robot getting lost in spaceship stuff in between. <laughs> I like the base building in XCOM without all the fighting, and Gears of War's quick load mechanic, sorry, quick reload mechanic, would make an excellent game about reloading guns. Keep potting those casts, Henry. <laughs> the quick load mechanic would definitely not make it. <laughs> Just hitting F9 again and again. Wait for the bar to fill. Oh, press now. <laughs> yeah, so I also don't really agree that the, the active reload thing would be sufficient for a game in and of itself. Uh, Did you play Paradoid? 
No. Yeah, I'm trying to remember because it was like a... Yeah, I remember there were two sides and you were balancing two sides of a thing with numbers. Hmm. I, it was it was smart. It was... um Yeah. Paradroid was amazing. Um, the base building in XCOM is an interesting one because I don't... I think of it as a negative of that game, but that's because decisions you make there without foreknowledge can fuck you in the tactical game. And if you took that out, I wonder if that would be... That would be fun. Yeah, it's a bit of definition of minigame. Is it something that could is entirely separate and something that you... But then actually they're all... You know, any hacking game is... If you succeed, it means you get into the safe. Yeah. So my uh, vote for this would be the hacking minigame from Deus Ex Human Revolution and Mankind Divided, um, where you are... It's a network of nodes and each one... Uh, you start from a certain entry point and you can capture an adjacent node and each one has a percentage chance of detection. Um, but you have various tools to like... One tool you have limited uses of can just capture the node for free and doesn't risk detection. Uh, when you are detected, the trace starts from the enemy like end of the network and moves out along the lines. And when it gets to a node that you've captured, it takes it longer to take it over mm-hmm. before it get to you. And you can also fortify your node so that when it gets there, it's way slower for it to capture it. And uh, I found that like fun in itself. And I also really appreciated that it was a whole kind of branch of your skill tree that you could put points into to upgrade in various ways. You could either like increase your hacking stealth, which meant that you had a lower chance of detection when you took these nodes, or you could boost your fortify skill. So when you fortified nodes, it had a lot much bit bigger effect on how long it took the enemy to trace you. Um, and you could also upgrade your ability to like know what was in the future nodes that you're going to get to. That's right. Yeah. Um, and it's quite an impressive feat to like create that much upgradability into a game that's just a mini game you know like the pipe mania or pipe dream i was thinking yeah would you like to update your pipe mania (laughs) skills nope (laughs) that you know it it filled a slot but it didn't have a lot of extensibility or (laughs) that kind of thing yeah i was um i was thinking about um i was the first i was sort of thinking about yakuza uh Yakuza Zero is available on PC at the moment, and and the Yakuza is filled with mini games. Like there's a like you can uh, go to uh, like a baseball range and just hit baseballs <laughs> if you like. There's a a r- really good dancing mini game which is just ace. There's uh, a singing mini game which is like just a rhythm game. Um, the dancing game is as well, obviously. Uh, there is. Um, a really good um, uh, uh, property management game <laughs> where you're choosing agents and sending them out to kind of um, uh, provide a bit of muscle to get your rent in for the, and then to improve the property so you can get more money in. Um, there is a game where you are uh, running a hostess uh, bar where you're kind of looking after tables, um, hiring hostesses to go to, to, to work for you, uh, dealing with um, errant customers uh, and generally kind of making everything move really, really kind of like smoothly. So, it's, so basically Yakuza is a walking game <laughs> and a punching game. Walking and punching game, that's what it basically is. But then with mini games kind of filling up all of the bits around them. <laughs> um 
I but, say, like having never played a Yakuza game, I hear it talked about a lot, and I hear I see screenshots and gifs, and I still have you would no hate sense it. of it. <laughs> I you would hate imagine it. what this game you'd, is. You would hate it, Tom. Like you basically spend all your time watching cutscenes and walking to the next <laughs> place to listen to the next cutscene, mm. and then doing some punching. Mm. So good though, so good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but then actually I started thinking about the um, Assassin's Creed. I think it was the one the one in uh, um, uh, for Black Flag mm-hmm. where you are sending out your ships to ports and getting getting kind of oh, yeah. booty and stuff back again. Like the hands off version of it. Yeah, that. it was like totally hands off and and I I liked I it. it. It was just all it was just all endorphin kind of serving. Really, it was just like mm. oh, I got a little thing. And <laughs> I did it, came back to it, and I earned stuff. And you know, and you, and I was thinking, ah, oh, could you do that side of the game? And like, I'm sure there are lots of games like it. They're basically a clicker game, more or less. Hmm. But it could only work in the context of that game, like <laughs> you know, because you have to go down to the. Uh, ship the captain's quarters yeah. you know, to do it at the big table it was like enough ceremony and enough kind of money coming into the game that you could say so you could buy yeah i think that's new outfits and whatever that's a thing you can't you need discount with a mid with a mini game is that often one of the reasons it's fun is because you know what you're going to get out of it at the end and yeah. that's going to have some broader significance in a different game and that's a hard thing to achieve in isolation it's quite hard to like make something that's fun enough in itself that you know, winning in, within a game is usually not... It doesn't lead to any further rewards. It's just, you won it. Well done. Yeah. And that's the Paradroid thing. Like, the Paradroid hacking game, the the meaning for it was, this, you know, was being able to be successful so that the main game would, would go smoothly. Yeah. I remember doing a lot of scanning in Mass Effect. Is it three where you launch the probes? Oh, yeah. yeah I a think lot of it might be two... Hmm. I'm not sure. Yeah, a lot of probing. <laughs> hard, hard to say if that was a mini game <laughs> or just a kind of chore. Um, oh yeah, I wanted to mention the Deus Ex one in particular now because it was recently featured in Rock Paper Shotgun's list of the worst hacking mini games ever, <laughs> <laughs> and I take issue with that. That is among the field of hacking games that is one of the best. And actually, in fairness. I don't know if this is fairness or not, but um, Alec, who wrote the article, uh, is quite positive about it in the text of that. But still, his problem, as I understand it, is that it's not high tech enough. Like, it's if you're this cyber droid with with sword elbows, then you should be doing something cooler than this to hack. But he only has but positive it, things to say about the actual experience of hacking. Has he played System Shock, where you had to like <laughs> the original, the first System Shock, where you had to go into this kind of th- like float around a three D world? Oh right, yeah, yeah, the whole cyber like, world. Come on, like, <laughs> if that's if that's the alternative, I'm going back to to the System Shock Two. Actually, you had something a lot like Human Revolutions, where it was a network of nodes and you had a chance of detection with each one. Uh, but there wasn't a, there wasn't as much to it. It was a much more rudimentary, and it was just chance. Really, it was just like oh, I fucked up. I'll load a save. <laughs> they had um I noticed in that article as well, they had the um the Fallout one mm. where you're doing the the kind the of password, the mastermind style password matching. Yeah, I quite like that. Hmm. I think I liked the idea of it and then hated it every time I had to do it. <laughs> Was that the one where it's like it tells you how many letters you got right? That's right, yeah. Yeah. 
And you're kind of going, there, is, there, are, there are no words in there <laughs> that have one O and no Ls. I think that that's one that, where I liked it for its apparent authenticity. It felt like something you might be doing as a hacker, yeah. is like so, reaming through like data that might be garbage or it might be meaningful yeah. and you've got to spot something just through pattern recognition. Yeah. Yeah, I like the I like the the theming of it, mm. but not the process. But then that would probably be the same for hacking itself. So yeah, that's good. Did you ever do that and then realize the thing you just hacked was the turret that you destroyed five minutes ago? <laughs> if that was still alive. That would be on my side now. <laughs> um, also, shout out to Shenzhen IO. Uh, mm-hmm. for having Shinjin Solitaire in it which actually is a separate game <laughs> like it was good enough that they released it as a separate game and I've played that a hundred times <laughs> uh, I've won that a hundred times so I've played it probably more than that um, and I've not played Shinjin IO much at all <laughs> <laughs> uh, apparently I've never played Free Cell and apparently it's quite similar to Free Cell so maybe it doesn't deserve as much credit as I thought but it is very good I think I idly tried Free Cell once Windows 95, whatever. Did you try the solitaire type game in Opus Magnum? Uh, a little bit, not much. Yeah, I never really got the hang of that. No. I was able to like get through it. I was never stuck on one, but it, I didn't totally feel like I had it figured out. I think I was just in the mood where I wanted to try and beat your score. And, <laughs> <laughs> See, that's a game where the leaderboards time, are really good. Like, not a time for... In fact, yeah, that's actually a really good analogy for like what I want from the leaderboards in Hitman is is just have multiple metrics. Just like there's one for mm. how silent you were, and there's one for how mm. how many challenges you got, and there's one for how how inventive you were. Or, um, yeah, if I if I choose to like snipe everybody, I want to be compared against other people who try to snipe everybody. But then that high drama playthrough where you were a psychopath. <laughs> you know, in the middle and you started off very silent and you ended up, you know, doing the another play style. Are there mm. any two play styles? <laughs> <laughs> play styles there? There's there's I mean it is it is impossible to capture all of the nuance and interestingness of a playthrough uh, of all the things you can do in Hitman because like the thing where I told Sean Bean I'd throw a knife in his head and then I did throw a knife in his head. I understand why they can't track that specifically. <laughs> um but, the dramatic irony. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, where's my Metric. dramatic irony leaderboard? That was the most dramatically ironic of all my friends. By at least 50. Maybe 100. <laughs> Poetic justice leaderboards. <laughs> Schadenfreude leaderboards. <laughs> Got another question? Uh, yes. Thanks for that, Henry. Uh, David says hey gang I was just now telling my girlfriend Charlotte about the amusing anecdote from last week's pod where Pip described a TV show as the one about the guy who owns a boat when Charlotte interjected Dexter (laughs) amazed and confused David well that just shows it just shows that if enough people (laughs) somebody is going to get it I'll admit to not being 100% clear on my recollection of last week's episode (laughs) although I was there uh this rings a bell. I guess that question was Ray. Pip actually did mean Dexter, right? And she did. Uh, was she, she by any chance criticised for this not being the most specific description of Dexter? She was. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That, we that all makes sense. We were we were confused <laughs> as to what on earth she was on about. He does have a boat. He, mm. he uses it a lot in that show. Mm. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. Um, Simus writes, Hello, Great and Grobar. I really enjoyed your discussion of Artifact's business model in the last episode. Perhaps I can provide another way to look at it. I think most players are able to understand the manipulative and exploitative nature of some business models, but in order to accept them, some mental self-justification acrobatics have to be performed. In most free-to-play games, you can tell yourself your purchase is funding the game for others who cannot afford playing, or perhaps the thing you're actually buying is the time it would take you to get the same stuff without playing. Without paying, sorry. Uh, Artifact provides none of these mental outs for the player, and that's why I think its business model has had some harsh reception. Have you ever caught yourself over-justifying your game spending? Love the pods, Simus. Um, I haven't found myself over-justifying game spending, but that was an interesting take on it. Like, And it's something that I think... Um, uh, my perception of, of Val's various public fuck-ups <laughs> in the last sort of five to ten years, uh, they often caught a lot of flack, and a lot of it comes from uh, no one has any sympathy for them. Like, no one's... People don't assume the best of them anymore. Mm. Like, there was a time when, like, you know, when Valve just released Half-Life 1, and probably when they released Half-Life 2 as well, when they were so well-loved that you gave them the benefit of the doubt when they tried something and it didn't quite work out. It'd be like, oh, I'm sure they were try- generally trying to make something good. And now the perception of them is they're trying to make money, and everything is seen through that lens. And uh, in this case, it, it, you know, it seems pretty justifiable to see it through that lens, because it sure does seem like a... A model that's very um, uh, monopolistic or what's the word materialistic mm. like just trying to get money out of you um, rather than being designed for fun uh, Chris did have some thoughts on this he's not here but he did say some things about this in the discord which maybe I'll read for you if I can find them in a reasonable time frame I, mean, I, I do I definitely recognize uh, what Simon was saying about uh, setting up a little kind of justification for your com- financial commitment to a game because yeah. you know i think even even in the the, the the standard of buying a game you've sort of when you make that commitment you say well this i'm not gonna go i remember i remember when you know just after i left university i was at a very low paying job and i would think okay i could buy this 40 pound game but it will mean that I won't go out mm. and therefore spend money on beer and it will save me money in the long run. I definitely did all that kind of thing. And then since free to play, you know, I've wanted to buy stuff so the developer would get money. Yeah. Um, definitely. Uh, that's gone for, for DLC and things like that as well. That I find um, doesn't happen so much on PC, but on mobile, I'm so ready to pay the fixed fee to like to get rid of the ads and whatnot yeah but at like as a way to support the developer yeah. like often the, the ads aren't bothering me or whatever it is i get i get some honey in alphabet or whatever and i don't really do the honey but i want to say i like this game yeah. i shouldn't have it for free i should pay you something but only if it's like the five dollars and you get everything or or just whatever the the, the price is but it, alphabet 2 doesn't have that and it, it has um uh i don't know i i pay this fixed sum and then I get an increased rate of honey or something and it's suddenly I don't feel like I'm supporting the developer by buying this. I am, technically, but it, it feels like this is a purchase that's still designed to get more money out of me. Yeah, or that you've you're you're using money to upset the balance of the game as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think I prefer the tips jar approach. 
but really I would just like to get rid of the adverts and and <laughs> give them money like and I think that it's give them money first and the 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 jar the the, the, the getting rid of the ads is like a nice little sort of yeah. it's like a little you know you're in the shop you've you've given the nice friendly smile to the shopkeeper <laughs> and they've kind of Give me a little wink back, and that, that's the adverts. Do you ever get a wink? I don't get a wink. <laughs> it depends on how. It depends on the smile, Tom. I just don't have that kind of smile in my repertoire. <laughs> but yeah, like getting something that kind of accelerates sort of things. I don't know. It's like. <laughs> yeah, it still feels like you're you're gaming me. It feels like you. I want you just to give me the game that you wanted to give me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they came up with the Assassin's Creed where, you know, there was a oh, yeah. purchasable thing that gave you 50% faster XP gain forever. And it was actually surprising in practice how little how little disruption that caused. Because I bought it and Chris didn't. And we both 100% happy with our experiences. <laughs> we both thought, this seems like about the right rate. And I don't know if that's because we have radically different rates that we expect. Or maybe it doesn't end up making as big a difference as we imagined. Or... Or maybe they increased the the XP that you required to go up for level by fifty percent. God, I wonder if you can do that and like not get arrested. There was a little bit about that in. Um, oh, I can't remember exactly what it was, and maybe people will uh, remember this properly. But I think there was something in Destiny where there was some kind of boost, but quietly underneath it, to balance things out, other things were sort of heightened, sort of. But I can't remember. It was a big old brouhaha about it, obviously, and because it's it's kind of mad, isn't it? All yeah. of that stuff. I particularly as XP. I don't know. I'm still deeply uncomfortable with the idea that that, in, that you're earning XP in in Assassin's Creed. I just <laughs> it just makes no sense. Yeah. Uh, so Chris said on the subject of artifact, uh, a bit of a follow up on artifact. Uh, I can't do a Chris impression. <laughs> uh, a bit of a follow-up on artifact chat because i'm ill and therefore unlikely to pod this week they just launched the marketplace for common uncommon cards and the interface is really nice super easy to create sell sorry super easy to create a sell buy basket which i assume is a thing uh out of your spares and very clear what spares are uh, what are spares and what aren't uh, on the buy tab there's a way to filter cards that you don't have and having just instantly sold a bunch of my duplicates i then immediately bought every single uncommon card uh, sorry, every single common slash uncommon card I was missing with a quid left over. We'll see how the prices for rare cards go, but an expensive common card seems to be about 25p. Have to say, this process took five minutes from start to finish, and I like it a lot more than breaking things down into dust and crafting with them. Artifact, uh, by the way, will be out by the time you... Uh, it's out as we record this, in fact, so you can play it now. <laughs> you and can you have can your own opinion. immerse yourself... <laughs> In this grubby business. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> or not grubby business. I probably won't. Uh, if if there is ever a um, uh, single player aspect, then I will. If there's like an AI, even if it's just like a practice AI. There is. I'm really, I'm Definitely really, is. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He meant, yeah well, Chris mentioned it. <laughs> yeah, like that you can choose to play against other players or you can play against AI. Okay. Sorry, no escape. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. I spoke too soon. <laughs> I will perhaps play this someday. <laughs> uh, Andrew writes, Dear Great and Crowbar, your recent discussion of bad games made up for media made me think of the much rarer beast, the game that's made up for media that you'd like to play. Do you know of any? Can books, films, whatever, really present a novel game idea uh, realistically as player agency is always going to be more than is achievable? 
I quite liked the side-scroller in Knuckleball, a horror thriller film to take on Home Alone, and the VR MMO in the trashy wish fulfillment novel Life Reset. Thanks, oh. Andrew. Uh, oh, and you keep mentioning enjoying D&D podcasts, which ones? Uh, I think most of us have listened to The Adventure Zone a lot, um, and I am currently enjoying Critical Role a lot, which is um, the one with all the voice actors. <laughs> and yeah, that's that's extraordinarily long. <laughs> I'm watching it as a YouTube series, and it, it might be the longest audiovisual thing I've ever <laughs> consumed of any kind. Like, And I'm just watching season two, and I think it's it's going to be like sort of over a hundred hours. Um, How are you watching it? Are you watching it while doing other things? Or? Yeah, right. Um, yeah, usually like I'll play something on my iPad while it's playing on my laptop, or um, uh, it's good while like sketching UI ideas and things like that. Um, and also, like when I go to bed, it's quite nice to mm. have something on that's kind of infinite. <laughs> <laughs> it's effectively infinite. And one of the amazing things about it is it has full closed captionings throughout that's like hand done by the community. There's a, a group of them who oh, write all of the dialogue. And it's like six people talking over each other. <laughs> this is difficult to do. Um, to the other question, uh, I always liked the descriptions of the game in Player of Games by Ian M. Banks. Hmm. It's um, about a... Uh, a person from the culture, which is the sort of, I don't know, the big intergalactic society <laughs> that's very advanced and very liberal, um, who is tasked with kind of making contact with a culture uh, on a planet that is uh, very based around a game they all play. And it's sort of chess-like in some respects, but way more complex and advanced. And the concept is that this game in some way mirrors the way they run their society. So when like you can become leader of this world by winning this game. And the idea is the game is a good enough representation of what it is like to really run a, a, a nation that if your strategy in the game works, you'll probably be a good leader. Um, and it did a very, the book did a very good job of describing people's strategies in that game in the abstract without really going through the rules of the game and, and specific moves and whatever um, in a way that I, as someone who plays a lot of games, found convincing like it, it was mm. it was a lot to ask that like oh the way he's playing it actually mirrors the way that they run their society and the way i'm playing it mirrors the way culture runs their society but i can kind of buy it like i i have played i'm playing a lot of race for the galaxy which is the the parallels between what you're doing in the game and running a galaxy is uh, pretty explicit because that's exactly what you're doing in the game but the way that the mechanics can mirror different sort of uh principles for running a civilization and for this is huge scale in race of the galaxy like every card you put down is a planet um uh it's really clever how how what you end up doing for mechanical reasons mirrors what you might end up doing uh in fiction for thematic reasons so like the main dichotomy is between do you want to if you to place like a world if it's a, a cost three world you have to Put the world down and then three other cards just discard them to, that's the price you pay um and most of the worlds that you place those that way uh, most of the good ones are production worlds which when the produce phase happens you produce a good on them um and that good can later be consumed but not this turn it'll have to be a future turn that you then choose the consume option and then you get it and that can pay off but it's a slow burn and it's difficult and it's like you have to uh, it's a lot of work 
and the whole game is a race so you might at any time be just beaten by someone who's way faster have some cheaper strategy and one of the other ways to play is like there are windfall worlds which are ones that can't produce anything but they come with a good already so it's faster to sell that um or to consume it in some way um and there's a semi-sustainable thing you can do where every world you put down you just sell the good on it instead of consuming it which means you get no victory points but you get a shitload of cards the cards might include another windfall world which you then place down and you sell that good and it's kind of like it, it's actually not sustainable but it's like it's a cheap and dirty way of burning through a bunch of stuff so you're technically paying the price for these things but you're not really getting anything out of them long term you're building <laughs> a kind of unsustainable society but if you do it fast enough you beat everyone else and then military is everything that every world and every development that gives you military just adds to this total and that's just your military and anything that's that or below you just get to place for free and so because you're not doing the hard work of building a society you're just taking it just oh there's a cool society here some of the production worlds most of them aren't usually military worlds are not production worlds because you've kind of destroyed them you've, got, yeah, taken, them. you've taken the production but it's free you just fucking have them it's just oh a five cost military world i have five military i just get it and that's worth four victory points or something and that's something that the production people have to work way harder to get. But the production thing, if you put in the work and you set up this sustainable society where everything is, you only consuming the things you produce, uh, once it gets going, it's way more powerful than everything else. You know, you produce an incredible amount of victory points every turn uh, without being dependent on what new cards you get. So it's less chance-based. And it's really interesting how all those things, all those things are viable. That's the cool thing about the game. It's like, I've done all of those things successfully. And each each round, uh, each time I play it, I'm thinking which one of those is going to serve me best this time. Hmm. And it's yeah, it's cool how they map onto different things. There's also like stuff like there's rebel worlds and imperial worlds, and certain kinds of rebel worlds. If you have any imperial worlds in your empire, will uh, you'll get negative military from them instead of positive military. And other things like the imperial worlds will benefit from the rebel worlds because they've conquered them and like have learned. Yeah, they kind of got experience. And then there's one route to victory that's like uh, the Rebel Alliance and some related cards uh, are all about getting Rebel Worlds, which are almost always military. But you get them through uh, a pay for military power, which is like negotiation. It's like a hostile world, but you're going to broker peace with them. And that does cost you cards, but sometimes through certain means it can cost you less cards than it would normally. Um, And you don't need the military at all. And there's even like a card that rewards you for having negative military. So if you're brokering peace, you can have the military worlds and have negative military and be rewarded for the negative military. And that gets you prestige because it looks good. Like it's it's the, it's more honorable than just conquering everything. So yeah, that, that makes it, for me, that's a good real embodiment of, of what Player of Games was kind of getting at, of like a game where the way you run your society can be reflected in the mechanics of the game. Mm, yeah. It's funny, the, the best... The best games in in media are ones where they aren't very specific about the game. As soon as you start showing something, then, you know, the specifics of it all kind of, you know, the way they diverge from what games really are, that kind of really breaks it. I think it was, uh, it's probably the, the sort of the virtual worlds in stuff like Snow Crash and, you know, where... It's such a fully realized idea of what it might be if there was a separate world, you know, virtual world running on top of things, which is kind of, it's weird to say that because it's such an old hat idea now, but it did feel quite sort of um, 
uh, and kind of an old hat idea and also really fucking cheesy now. <laughs> like now that we can do virtual worlds and it'll all come yeah. a bit little more than a little wanting, kind of like, you know, we all just want to do it on a screen, you know, and not put a headset on and yeah. and not be subsumed into it. Like, but 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 taken in the spirit and in the culture that those works were written you i like the non-specific nature of um oh, i can't remember the snow crash world anyway but it's like you know this be anyone be do anything yeah. kind of environment which it's second funny. life just sort of kicked to the curb really and it's like <laughs> oh oh it's all just sex dungeons <laughs> <laughs> they the what strikes me is the difference between most of these sci-fi envisionings of of um, the game that we'll all be in and real life is that so far at least it's never been the case that like one game is just the, the fact that there would just be one game that we all go into like that they're all fixated on this idea that we'll all have mm. a virtual identity in a virtual world and there's just one virtual world and we have a persistent single identity in it and you can change it and you can re- restart yourself or whatever but the idea is like you know, a company would be running this. So one company would just be running the whole uh, internet, essentially, or, or whatever it is. Um, and so far, fortunately, that is not the case. <laughs> it's kind of I don't nice know, man. Thing. It's like, it's not, I mean, you know, obviously nobody envisaged that that, that that would, the whole role would be taken by social media and that Facebook, there'd be <laughs> one company dominating it, Facebook, and then it would look really fucking kind of, low tech and clunky <laughs> and not have any of the sexiness of, of the kind of, of, of the virtual reality worlds that kind of Facebook were promised. wants it to be VR, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But look at those videos. <laughs> horrific. It was meant to be, it was meant to be. But that, I find that reassuring that they're so bad at it. <laughs> like, yeah. They're not going to take over the world for the VR safe. thing because it's garbage. <laughs> Even their current thing is garbage. And... They're just con- content with changing governments and votes yeah. and things instead yeah <laughs> yeah they control the world to a scary extent but they're not they're, they aren't the world yet <laughs> that is all the questions we have time for this week you can send us questions at questions at create and crowbar.com you can uh follow us on twitter at create and crowbar you can back us on patreon which many people do and thank you to those people which is patreon.com slash create and crowbar. We have a YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash create and crowbar. The Discord, where you can read exciting statements like Chris's from earlier. <laughs> if you want to see that before uh, it's read on the podcast by me, uh, then you can find that, the link to that on create and crowbar.com. We don't, I think it's possible to make like a, a readable link yeah, like to a, a Discord, but we haven't done that. Readoutable, so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you're welcome to join us there. Uh, I hang out a lot on the Roguelikes channel there and talk about either Spelunky or uh, Heat Signature, frankly. <laughs> um, and are there any other things? Is there our own personal Twitters? Is there anything before that? I think, what would Chris be saying now? <laughs> how how fr- Is he frowning at us now? <laughs> what, I think you covered what it. Would that Chris was really slick. Outro, W-W-C-T-O. <laughs> uh, okay, so I am Pentadact on Twitter, P-E-N-T-A-D-E-C-T. And I am rotational on Twitter, R-T-O... Oh, Christ, that was bad. R- <laughs> People know R-O-T-A-T-I-O-N-A-L. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks for listening.
I guess I stop now. Yeah. <laughs>